Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we're talking about capital in the capital city. Venture Ohio helps to facilitate the entrepreneurial ecosystem in our state. Their annual venture report, which just came out, takes a detailed look at Ohio investment activity and the people and companies putting Ohio on the map. I sat down with Venture Ohio's CEO, Fallon Donahue, and the co-founder of local startup Crosschecks to talk about the report, how venture capital works, and the opportunities available for entrepreneurs. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Kepri, a full-service web and mobile development company specializing in design and programming services. Defined through skill and innovation, Kepri works with their clients to create user-centric, technology-based products that innovate. Kepri provides complete technology solutions with a solid strategy to meet your goals and grow your brand. See examples of their work and explore what Kepri can do for you at Kepri.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Fallon Donahue, the CEO of Venture Ohio, and Brad Masco, the co-founder of Crosschecks. How are you guys? Great. Great. How about yourself? Doing well. Thank you. We're sitting down here talking about venture capital in Ohio. Fallon, first of all, you guys just put out the 2017 Venture Report. Can you talk about that report a little bit? Yeah. We at Venture Ohio release a report every year to get a better understanding of what Ohio is doing well so we can shout that from a rooftop and get a better understanding of what we need to improve upon. So this year, the results were very exciting, uh, very reflective of the momentum building in Ohio that we feel every day. Uh, We saw 46% increase in investment activity over the last two years. So really excited to see the way those numbers shook out, especially considering venture capital has been declining nationally. So Ohio significantly outbucked the trends this year. Okay. What's the difference? Why is Ohio, do you think, doing better? I think there are a lot of moving pieces as to why Ohio is doing better. Uh, First, you're seeing uh, a migration toward the Midwest in general as a trend. Uh, Companies understand, founders understand, investors understand that you no longer need to be situated on the coast to scale a successful tech company. The Ohio is full of very talented people. We have over 200 higher education institutions. We have a high concentration of Fortune 1000 companies, also uh, full of talented individuals. And these corporations can prove your first customer, um, possibly acquire startup companies, and certainly provide a lot of mentorship and guidance from their executive officers to entrepreneurs in Ohio. And then this year, For the past couple of years, we're seeing a very significant increase in collaboration. And we believe that collaboration is a key element of our success in Ohio. So those corporations, universities, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, angel investors are all working together, co-investing in deals, sharing ideas, sharing information, sharing our networks to help put Ohio on the map. Do you have any examples of that collaboration happening? 
I, I mean, I think Venture Ohio is a key example of that and some of the okay. initiatives that that we've we've launched. But it's, you know, Venture Ohio is really just a platform for the people in Ohio who are doing great things. So uh, one example is the Next Gen Group. These are the young VCs from across the state. Uh, they're starting to get together on a regular basis to get to know each other, to share best practices, and to share deal flow. So uh, entrepreneurs in Ohio, if they meet with one of these uh, next-gen VCs, who are typically, if you think about it, the top of the funnel for their, for their fund, you uh, as an entrepreneur don't typically meet the managing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, During your first meeting, you're usually meeting with the associates, the analysts at these funds. So uh, these guys get together on a regular basis and uh, share deal flow. So the entire and state- defi- Define that for this us. This would be the funnel of companies. Okay. So these will be companies from concept stage all the way through growth stage. And we have representation on these calls or on these meetings from funds across all different investment criteria, all different investment stages. So they all get a glimpse toward the great companies that are that are building across the state. And it's no longer uh, solely reliant on the entrepreneur's ability to just know what's out there and, and, and drive to these different VC funds and, and reach out to them. When you talk about deal flow, is it similar to you keep saying funnel, and I, and so I think of sales funnel. Is it similar to that in that there are all these options for these venture capital firms to invest in, and then they're going to qualify them, and so the funnel gets smaller? Is that what that funnel is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so each venture fund has its own investment strategy, Okay. Uh, depending on the size of company that they're comfortable with, the industry that they feel comfortable with. Some venture capital funds invest solely in tech. Some have an even more targeted investment thesis. Uh, outside of that, some invest in seed stage companies and some invest all the way up to growth stage companies. So you're looking at a difference of between, you know, a low amount, 20, 25,000, 500,000 up to 30, 40 million, 300 million, you know, whatever the company requires for its growth. Gotcha. And I'm going to let those terms stay there, but I'll come back to them too. Seed stage, Mm -hmm. growth stage and such. Brad, give us your background and tell us about Crosschecks. Sure. So I am from Ohio, but spent the last uh, 10 years before Crosschecks out in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. My co-founder and I went to undergrad together at Miami, and we had reconnected out in D.C. He had uh, gone into the Air Force and done a bunch of tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and then had a company out there. And so we'd reconnected. Uh, I was working on Capitol Hill and uh, and we started talking about wanting to start a company together and Crosschecks was one of a number of ideas that we had and we actually uh, you know came back here and very randomly uh, got connected with the right folks, okay. uh, got the initial funding that we wanted and, and got a first customer in Ohio. So I was living in Virginia, he was living in uh, Maryland and we picked up and I moved here about three weeks after we got the company launched and uh, he moved uh, a little bit after that. And we uh, started here in Columbus with a first customer down in Gallipolis, which is down on the river. Yeah. And uh, that was 2012 that we started the company, uh, you know, kind of officially formed it here. And we grew it from, you know, two people to a hundred plus, uh, you know, multiple offices. We're in, uh, Crosschecks is in 30 plus states now. Uh, and so what is Crosschecks? Yeah. So, you know, Crosschecks is creating what we say the internet of healthcare. So basically okay. when it comes to, uh, to healthcare, if you think of all the electronic medical record systems that are out there at all these hospitals, basically every hospital is its own silo. So okay. 
Uh, if you have a, you know, name the system, Epic, McKesson, CERN, or any of those, when you put it into your hospital, you're really keeping all those records for those patients in that one hospital. So if you, if you think of, uh, you know, by the time you're 30 years old and you've probably seen two dozen doctors over the course of your life, maybe more, mm -hmm. uh, if you had to go out and get your medical records, it's a huge pain. Okay. Um, and so if you think of it, when you're healthy and you want to do that, and then you think of it when you're not healthy and uh, and when you need to get that information quickly. So, right. so the idea of cross checks is there is a there is a world where people can can control all the, all of those records themselves, um, and you can have access to it on your phone. Uh, so cross checks has a number of different products from a biometric product to a kiosk to a mobile app uh, and now to an artificial intelligence product that helps the hospitals be a lot more efficient. So. And so is the customer for that the the hospitals and the doctor's offices to be able to access these records or Yeah, that's that, that's right. So the so the the customer is a hospital but you know ultimately it's up to the patient to use it and okay. so uh, so we kind of serve both both sides there. So there's over a thousand different medical uh, sites that use cross checks and over 10 million patients that have gone through the system. So uh, you this know, is similar to like a patient portal. Like mm -hmm. when I leave the pediatrician's office, I get a summation of here's what we found about your daughter. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, you know, the the idea is if you think of that medical form that you fill in every time you go to the doctor's office, it's it's good information, but mm -hmm. you have to fill it out every time you do it fast. So you don't, you know, you don't do a complete job of it. And, you know, memories change and everything else. So, you know, the idea is it's 2017. That's not how you should be keeping your most important medical information it's also not very secure to have that just kind of floating around that way uh, or sitting and, in a big cabinet of files behind yep, the receptionist yep, right exactly exactly is there some amount of compliance in your work in that when was the affordable care act passed prior to prior to us doing that so okay. um uh yes there so is is some of this a result of the affordable care act in that medical records eventually are going to have to be digitized and shareable and you guys are helping to provide that compliance yeah it actually goes even further back to HIPAA, okay. uh, which uh, was 1996, mm -hmm. uh, the Health Information and Portability Act. So the the idea is that you know it, it was good intentions when HIPAA was put into place. Uh, I think to some extent uh, people have taken that to to the extreme on one side on security uh, and can also be very lax at the mm -hmm. same time. So you know they kind of interpret it. Everyone interprets it how they want to, but. Uh, you know, really, we think HIPAA is enabling to a technology like this. The The ultimate uh, intention of HIPAA was for people to be able to have that information and make it portable. Okay. Uh, so, you know, back then you were talking paper medical forms. You weren't dealing with a lot of electronic health records. And mm -hmm. then over the last decade or so, the federal government put billions of dollars into uh, hospitals all over the country, doctor's offices, to be able to go out and subsidize and buy EHR systems, um, the electronic great, health records, electronic health records. Okay. The great thing that happened with that is you got a much more digital, uh, health picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, the bad thing that happened with that is because there was good competition around it, you created, you know, 500 plus EHR systems out there. Got it. Uh, and so that's why, you know, name a hospital. It has its own version of a electronic health record. It has its own database. It has its own information that it's storing there. So 
even though it's become digital, it still uh, is it's missing the piece. Yeah, it's right. still missing that portability, so it's still siloed. And so you guys are providing essentially, for lack of a better term, the integration solution for those systems to talk to each other if they are with cross-checks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we created, we always thought of it as piping. Uh, okay. So if you're going to build the internet, you're going to have to create those servers out there and uh, you're going to have to create that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's really what Crosscheck spent a lot of time on was creating a nationwide infrastructure, both the databases that we have and the algorithms that we built, but also just kind of that piping so that we could tap into any one of these hospitals and, and help them move records. Gotcha. There's your overview of what Crosscheck sure. does. Let's talk about what was it like when you guys were getting going. First of all, defining the amount of money that you needed. And then what was that process like? And what, what did you learn along the way? Because you hadn't gone through that process because you were in essentially politics before, right? Right. Okay. First of all, how did you set out to define what what's that number we need to get going? Sure. Yeah, it's iterative. You learn throughout this entire process. And, okay. Uh, so my partner, Sean, and I, uh, neither of us had raised money before. Um, he had bootstrapped his company. Uh, I was in uh, I was in politics. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he was in like a government contractor sort of company was what he was doing before. Yeah. So uh, when he was in the Air Force, he was a uh, he was assigned to the NSA. Mm -hmm. And as part of the NSA, they built a, uh, a wireless uh, network, basically. And so they would you think of a big cell phone tower they took a cell phone tower and shrunk it down into a box that mm -hmm. you can basically basically put on a humvee and then they created the software so that they could move that around anywhere in iraq and afghanistan so so when he created a company when he got outside of the uh the nsa and the air force mm -hmm. it was a software services company back into the government basically to uh to kind of run that software and maintain everything that they were building so gotcha so we both had a had a government connection him okay. from the military and DOD side and myself from the political side. Uh, and so when we decided to start Crosschecks, neither of us had any experience with venture capital. Uh -huh. um, it was a foreign concept to us. So we had a very unique way that we ended up getting the initial funding for the company, which was a. Uh, uh, some grant funding that we got from the state. Okay, of Ohio? Yeah, from the state okay. of Ohio. They actually wrote a, wrote a pilot project for, our, uh, for a first customer. Um, and then the first customer also did a seed investment on top of that. So that got us basically, you know, call it eight or nine months worth of burn, worth of, worth of what we were going to need to kick the company off. And that took us about three months to go through that process. We at no point knew whether or not people would even use the product. Um, I you mean, know, you, hoped, you hoped they would. We hoped they would. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, no. But, you know, there's good lessons in how not to get ahead of yourself on a, on a product side, too, right. um, as we launched that and as we... Uh, got it out there, and then and we were fortunate then to 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 meet some folks here um, locally in Columbus. Um, Mark Wami, uh, who had just started Drive Capital, mm -hmm. and his partner Chris Olson um, uh, met with us and kind of saw where we were at from a very early traction standpoint, and they saw big opportunity out of mm -hmm. that for the for the company to make a big impact. They were very forward thinking and in, in in what we were going to be able to do with cross checks and. Uh, so from that point, they were our first real investor. They did our what's called our Series A. Okay. So from, let's say, the moment that you guys founded the company to that grant mm -hmm. from the state of Ohio, about how long was that? Uh, so it was about 
three months. Okay, um, maybe fast. four months. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty fast. I mean, we. Uh, How did that happen? How did you 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 had some connections having been in politics? You reached out to some people you knew, and you said, "Hey, we have this idea. Can you help us out?" Yeah, we completely tripped into it. Really, okay. Uh, we Sean and I had started coming back to Ohio. Um, again, I was in Virginia. He was in in uh, Maryland. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we came back and spent some time. We were gonna take a week. We're both Miami grads. So we were going to take a week and go down to Miami. And, and in that first, uh, you know, kind of trip back here, we, we met with some folks that he had a, you know, network of folks. And so did I, and we just started to talk to people about some of the ideas we had for creating a business. And one of them, we had every, every idea I mentioned the other day, one of our, one of the ideas was a chopped salad restaurant. So, uh, you know, it had every, uh, okay. th- there were probably half dozen ideas for what we, what we wanted to do together. Okay. Um, you just, you guys just knew at the core that you wanted to work together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And really what we had with, uh, cross checks, um, it was the initial concept of cross checks was because Sean had put a, uh, uh, office of his software firm in Gallup police mm-hmm. and being from Gallup police, uh, Sean's from Gallup police. We knew and trying to hire people there, we knew that, uh, how bad prescription drug abuse was. Okay. Uh, and so that was the initial concept of the company was, uh, we didn't, we, we didn't set out to start a company. We set out because we knew that there was a problem with opiates and prescription drug abuse. And we okay. said, we would love to find a way to stop, stop doctor shopping. And that's how we started the idea of cross checks. And that's what our initial conversations were, where we just said, we believe there's a way to, uh, to combat doctor shopping. Okay. Uh, and to well, make and it- what your artificial intelligence product is, is that it's a predictive system that allows doctors to sort of be able to tell these records are too similar. This is probably the same person getting pills, right? Yeah, that's that has a that has a piece of it. Yeah, okay. and that's now where healthcare is going. And the again, the more that you take that network that you've built, and the more that you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had 10 million patients come through our system, but we have 70 million medical records that. Uh, that are in the hospitals and a, and, and a part of our network. So okay. we get to learn a lot from that. Uh, so now you, now you can see, and, and early on when we said we were going to look at doctor shopping, what we realized as we got into the hospitals and as we had our first customer and we did a pilot with them, mm-hmm. what we realized looking at that was uh, this problem doctor shopping is is one piece of the problem and it really comes down to not knowing who the patients are and not being able to identify them and understand right. when a person is taking you know multiple conflicting prescriptions or if they're going to different ERs to to get uh, you know quick opiate prescriptions that sort of thing so it really came down to not knowing who a patient was so right. that became the bigger concept of of cross checks um, which was how how we were able to go into the world where, we would need venture capital because mm-hmm. in order to build out that network, we were going to, it was going to require a lot of capital right. to, to build that out nationwide. So talk about that vetting process that you had to go through with drive was an investor, right? Yeah. So okay. they were, so drive did our series a investment okay. um, and they've done every investment, you know, been a part of it since then, but they were our first investor. So we met with them early on. And again, two people that didn't know anything about venture capital at that point. So right. uh, I've shown people our 
45 slide pitch deck, uh, which is, which is probably 35 slides too many. Uh, uh -huh. so, you know, full of numbers and, uh, and wild ideas of, of what this market could look like. Mm -hmm. Um, somehow Mark and Chris were able to see through that and understand that with a, a relatively small investment, they, that we could create this network, this, you know, kind of foundational network that we needed to, to start cross check. So knowing what you know now for the aspiring entrepreneurs listening, what should that pitch deck have had and what messages should you have been trying to communicate? And yeah. frankly, what should you have left off? <laughs> Man, I'd have to go through <laughs> a lot of slides. So, you know, I think um, we made a lot of guesses. And, and the good thing was because we didn't come to it having done this before, mm -hmm. we, were, um, we were pretty transparent that we didn't know what we were doing okay. uh, when it came to those decks. And Do you think your naivety was cute or like... You know, I think it actually helped. It charmed um, them a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe we're charming people. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I would imagine that being in politics. <laughs> but you know, I think uh, I think it helped that we were able to say, "Listen, we don't we don't know entirely, but we know that we know that there is a there is a world where people should be able to have this um, mm -hmm. this technology, and we don't know what the right dollar amount is for it. We don't, you know, but we could guess what it was going to cost to build it. We didn't know what the total market was going to be, mm -hmm. and, but we had done some things very early on to make sure that the product that we would get, you could answer some of the very early questions. Are people going to use it? Do people want this? Um, something that I think a lot of people, when they're, when they're thinking about this, they probably jump way too many steps ahead. Right. Um, well, cause you wanted to make sure you were crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's so that you were, cause you knew that you were going to need the investment and just making sure that you continued to be in that position ready to take it. Yeah. You guys intended on moving back to Ohio, right? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't just like you were going to be here for a week at Miami. You party. know, I, we only intended on it at the end when we okay. realized, um, you know, up until then. So we did the first week and had conversations and said, boy, these went Pretty Better well, than expected, so, right? Yeah, let's do this again and and again and again. And it's just, you know, week after week, we kept coming here. You know, we both had families out on the East Coast and we came here and talked to anyone we could talk to, basically. Um, what was the perception of the venture capital scene in Ohio that you got on the East Coast? What is the perception and what's the difference? You know, honestly, I couldn't even say because we didn't know we didn't know anything about it. So we weren't having that initial conversation. Okay. We were talking to folks in the government because we didn't, we didn't know anything about venture capital. So okay. we wouldn't even know who to tap into. We didn't, you know, we didn't know about groups out there that we could uh, start asking questions mm -hmm. of. Uh, we just, we came back and started talking to anyone who could be a, a customer, anyone who could be uh, an advocate, you know, and 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 an ally or or an enemy, uh, and just trying to understand what their what their reaction would be to what we wanted to do from a you know marketplace perspective. Gotcha, Fallon. Can you talk about sort of the structure of Venture Ohio? Is it a membership-based organization? Is it an advocacy role? Is it a networking? What boxes do you have to check each quarter? It is all of those things. Okay. Yeah, Venture Ohio is in its third year. Um, it was founded to provide a unified voice for venture capitalists okay. in the beginning. Uh, since then, you know, we've grown to include voices from entrepreneurs, from service providers who help build the entrepreneurial ecosystem, and also, of course, the angel investors and, and venture capitalists as well. So a okay. uh, big component of what we do is collaboration. 
it's our role to so ensure. So that's the networking events. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's our role to ensure that everyone who should meet each other has the opportunity to. Okay. So that's part of our next gen group. It's part of these quarterly meetups we have. We have a big annual event called the Venture Dinner where we celebrate entrepreneurship, give out awards for the top uh, companies in early stage, seed stage, growth stage. We go on um, an Entrepreneur of the Year award. Okay. So it's just an opportunity to bring everybody together and also to bring people from around the country, really around the world, who have an interest in Ohio VC and Ohio entrepreneurship to come here and take a look at what we're building. You guys receive your funding from your members, we from do. the yeah. state? It's all private. Okay. It's members and sponsors. Okay. You know, and so in addition to that, you know, advocacy is a big part of what we do. Really at the end of the day, our goal is to increase the amount of capital being invested into Ohio companies year over year. So there are a lot of ways to accomplish that goal. Um, one way to uh, increase access to capital is to change the investor laws that stunt startup growth. Okay. So we spent uh, some time in D.C. a couple of weeks ago talking to senators about entrepreneurship in Ohio and the Midwest and some of the investor laws that are impacting growth of entrepreneurship and, and venture capital in the Midwest. Can you give an example of that, a national law that somehow adversely affects Ohio? Sure. So... Um, Dodd-Frank is a great example of this. A piece okay. of Dodd-Frank's called the Volcker Rule. And while it's a great rule and there are a lot of reasons why it should be in place, uh, what we're advocating for is just a different interpretation of the law because it says that financial institutions can't invest in venture capital funds. Mm -hmm. And so that had a really harmful effect on venture capital in Ohio. On the coast, they've been doing this for a lot longer than we have, mm -hmm. and their LP set is very diverse. They have a lot of sources of capital for venture capital funds LP. around the coast. Uh, limited partners. Got it. Uh, organizations and peoples who, people who invest in venture capital funds. And so what you're saying is the coasts have the virtue of having these long-established firms, mm -hmm. but also having, and we keep throwing it out, angel investors, wealthy individuals who invest, but also mentor to an extent companies that they invest in that tend to be at like the startup slash early stage. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Okay. But specifically, you know, regarding the Volcker role, when banks were no longer able to invest in venture capital funds in mm -hmm. Ohio, that hit Ohio VC pretty hard. Okay. Because banks were a major investor in Ohio funds and they were often the first investor in an Ohio venture capital fund. If you think about it, banks have the ability to conduct due diligence on these venture funds that perhaps an individual doesn't have the time or the resources to conduct well, that due diligence. Well, that's what they do. That's what mean, they do. That's how they give mortgages. Exactly. Right. So when a bank puts their seal of approval on a venture capital fund, it's much easier for that VC then to raise the remainder of their fund because uh, a major financial institution has said, we think this is uh, a great investment opportunity. Now you can go out and raise the remainder of your fund from individuals, foundations, corporations, et cetera. And I think it is important here to note that the intention of the Volcker Rule is to reduce risk. Right. Uh, totally understandable. However, you're making the argument that banks have the ability to identify and mitigate that risk. Right. Okay. No bank has gone under from making an investment in a venture capital fund. So when these venture capital funds weren't able to get that first capital in and grow out their funds, that mm -hmm. had a harmful effect. Now we've since recovered and, and are you know, making tremendous strides toward a healthy venture capital ecosystem, healthy entrepreneurial ecosystem. But it could um, be better. But it could be better. It could be bigger. Now talk about, and I'm familiar with them a little bit just because of past work that I've done, but talk about those funds because that's now an, a whole nother avenue for companies 
primarily growth stage companies to get money, right? Typically in the life cycle, your first capital is friends and family. Okay. If, if you have friends and family, I guess that have <laughs> that kind of money. Next, you'd go to an angel investor, and these are individuals. Uh, Columbus actually boasts the second largest angel fund in the entire country. Uh, OTAF does an incredible job. The Ohio, Ohio Tech, Tech Angel, angel fund. fund. Yeah. Right. And angel investors not only provide critical financial capital, they also provide mentorship, guidance, helping these entrepreneurs see around the quarter. They can provide strategic introductions to their first customers or other mm -hmm. mentors. So they're a really critical component of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Well, it should be noted there, they have a vested interest in the success of the company that Absolutely. they've put money towards. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. The angel investors help these companies, help the entrepreneurs grow to the point where they'll need venture capital. And that's larger sums of money. Uh, some of the major funds in Columbus are NCT, Drive Capital, and Rev1. Mm -hmm. The venture capital funds then are, are similar to angel investors in that they provide strategic guidance and financial capital. The main difference being angel investors are investing their own money. Mm -hmm. Venture capitalists are investing out of the fund that they've raised. Is it fair to say that a venture capital firm is essentially managing just a venture capital fund? Yes. Okay. We want to make sure we're getting all the terms out and yep. making sure everybody knows what we're talking about, basically. Talk about the types of industries that have been successful in Ohio. Well, Ohio is very uniquely positioned in this next wave of technology and entrepreneurship. If you think about companies that have found success over the last 10 years or so, your, your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you were able to successfully scale these companies without any interference from existing industries, without needing to work with politicians. There was no disruption of an industry in order to make these companies grow and scale. You could create Facebook from your dorm room. Mm -hmm. The next phase of entrepreneurship will likely be focused on disrupting existing industries. So CrossChecks is a great example of that. Cover My Meds is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. So Ohio entrepreneurs have having access to the hospital network, the universities uh, in Columbus, having state government located here and some U.S. senators, you know, from Ohio who are, are leading the charge in, in innovation and entrepreneurship at the federal level. So you'll see healthcare IT is a, is a strong emerging uh, industry for entrepreneurship in Ohio. I think fintech is certainly one that's emerging as well. You see the, the launch of the fintech 71 accelerator. Mm -hmm. And then in Columbus, of course, smart cities is kind of the, the giant here in town, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Columbus partnership and everyone working together to, to bring that win here to Columbus. I think we're going to see a lot of companies launching in that space. Great. You had noted in your report, I think that while the coasts have the internet, Ohio has the things. I did note that, but to to just be honest, that's Mark's phase. I did steal that from Mark Kwame, okay. <laughs> but we liked it a lot. <laughs> Got it. That's fair. Brad, back to you. What advice would you give to an entrepreneur who is where you and Sean were when you were starting CrossChecks? It's a good question. You know, I think there's a lot of different things that we would do the same and that we would do differently. And I think uh, being reflective now on what we, how we set up CrossChecks, I think there were, we got very lucky on a lot of things. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in talking with other entrepreneurs, you know, I certainly spent a lot of time talking with them about what their first products are like, what they look like, how, uh, how they how they can do it with the, the least cost uh, mm -hmm. so that you can get your company off of the ground with friends and family and angel investment and understanding the stages that 
a company has to go through. I mean, it, you know, you're not going to start off as LinkedIn today or Facebook today. You have to, you know, and they didn't start off that way. So right. you have to understand the history of a company and you have to understand that, that you have to, you have to crawl before you walk, before you run. So mm-hmm. Crosscheck certainly went through that. We went through stages of growth from, you know, two people to 10 people to 30 people to a hundred people. Uh, and, and all throughout that, the products changed, the needs of the company changed, the, what we needed from a venture capital side changed. It changed how we had to get venture capital. Uh, you know, it's uh, Ohio, we've, we've been able to uh, raise significant amount of investment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, north of $40 million now. But we had to go to California to do some of that. We had to go to Texas to do some of that. And I think there are good lessons in how to do a fundraise. And I think there are also good lessons in how, as an investment community, we can support entrepreneurs here in a way that makes it easier so that they can anticipate some of some of what they're going to have to do to go mm-hmm. through to get those investments and also to be able to do as much of that investment here as you can. Because anytime we did a, a, a round of capital, it's a multi-month process. Right. It meant moving to California for, you know, four to six weeks. Uh, okay. It's very, it's a, it, it's a, it's a big distraction to go through that. So, well, cause you're supposed to still be running a company. That's too. right. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I tell people not to glorify what it looks like because you know, this is, it's, 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 it's a grind. It is a grind. It's right. a real deal. You're building companies. And, um, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you read a blog post about how everything goes great. Well, it doesn't go great. You know, business doesn't come in a straight line. So, right. uh, so I think it's important for people to understand and to anticipate what some of those hiccups are going to be and how hard it's going to be to go through that. But that's not to tell them not to do it. It's right. to tell them, you know, how to, how to anticipate and plan for that. And here in Ohio, as you look at the venture capital world and you look at what opportunity is there for companies and what opportunity we, you know, we hope is coming here so that people can continue to raise the rounds of capital that they need to be able to grow their grow their companies. Right. What I hear you saying a lot is sort of, you know, make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row, but make sure that you're ready to change those ducks direction as well as the company is evolving and depending on the need of the funding that you are trying to get as well. Yeah, exactly. I, Mark, Kwame and Chris would, um, they told us something really early on that actually um, was- Guides you still. Very true, yeah. Okay. Um, we called it the rules of ones to threes and the idea was whatever you do at one is gonna be broken by three. So if it's one customer, the processes that you use to get one customer to go to three is going to break. Okay. Um, if it's uh, if it's one employee to three, your processes are going to break from you know one to three to ten to thirty one hundred. Roughly in those uh, in those phases, we saw it. You know, Crosscheck grew to hundred plus employees, and at every point of that, something breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's we grew from one state to thirty states, um, your processes break as you do that. Right. So, you know, I think it's it it's natural. It's just a matter of knowing you don't have everything figured out throughout that early early on. You can't do everything for one customer or one employee or one state that you are going to need to do at 30 and you just have to anticipate it. Mm -hmm. Fallon, would you, because I imagine a lot of our audience would put themselves into the mindset of an aspiring entrepreneur rather than an aspiring venture capital associate. Are there mentorship opportunities within either your group or within Ohio or frankly within Columbus that 
people can reach out to in order to learn about these processes, learn about the growth stages of a company, even understand what an exit means and, and how that should go? What are those resources? I would say the network in Columbus is growing every day. And I would encourage Columbus entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs to be to look outside of Columbus as well mm-hmm. and take advantage of the great resources in Cleveland and Cincinnati and even get out to New York and Silicon Valley and Chicago and, and learn from people outside of the city. Uh, Columbus is full of brilliant entrepreneurs who have been there, done that, and every one of them is more than willing to give back. So it's very unique about this city as well. Uh, some examples, you know, we're here in the Idea Foundry right now. This mm-hmm. is a great place just to be, just to hang out. I think there's a lot to learn just from being in the space. There's a lot of people coming through here and a lot of uh, really cool program at Idea Foundry. Rev One is also a great resource, regardless if you are, you know, they invest in your company or you're part of their network, you can still get a lot of great mentorship and advice through their uh, expert network. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of great events happening throughout Columbus as well. Startup Grind is fantastic. Startup Weekend is a really great place to start. If you are brand new to the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you spend about 48 hours learning how to build a company. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you get access to a great network of mentors. There are a lot of people floating around. Uh, I believe the next one is the end of June at mm-hmm. Idea Foundry uh, for the Maker Edition. You've got access to a great mentor network, and you've got access to a great group of people who share your interest. So it's a great place to meet your future co-founder as well. And just a last question, what do you think Ohio specifically and, and the community here can do better? Where are the opportunities? You know, there's always opportunity. I would say one of the low-hanging fruits is just change the way we talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Columbus is awesome. It's a city on the rise. It's it's really an amazing place to be. I personally can't think of anywhere else I'd want to be during this time. It's a great place to start a company. It's a great place to live. And I would say that about Ohio in general. So changing the way that we view ourselves. If we don't change the way we talk about ourselves, the way we view ourselves, no one else will. Right. So stop talking about how cheap it is to live here. It's a great place to start a business because it's cheap. No, it's a great place to start a business because there's access to incredible talent. Mm-hmm. There's access to first customers. We have a great corporate base and we have a great network of mentors from the CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies to people like Rich and Mark and the other entrepreneurs and venture capitalists in Columbus who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in the trenches with you and help you be successful. Great. One thing I'd add to that is Crosstrex has gone through multiple rounds of uh, fundraising. And so when we did our, we, we've now raised a C round. When, he, when we did our B round, we were about 30 people. And at that point, we went out to California to you know, start our fundraise and get it priced and everything. And as we did that, we had a lot of venture capitalists out there that, uh, that thought that we wouldn't be able to scale Crosschecks to the size that we needed in Ohio. So, oh, okay. Um, so we were we were offered deals, but the requirement of the deal was we were going to have to move to California. That was a contingency. That was it. a contingency. Okay. And uh, and we disagreed. Um, we firmly disagreed. What we, was their reasoning? Their reasoning was that they didn't. They really didn't think we would get the talent that we needed here. Okay. And they didn't think that they thought that we needed the tutelage that they would give us at XYZ Venture Capital Firm right. in California versus what we got here in the Midwest. And again, we just, we disagreed. We knew that we couldn't get to, we can get to the customers that we need to here. Uh, we are logistically and operationally in a really good space. Mm-hmm. Um, we have access to fantastic talent. I mean, we've, you know, we've hired a hundred people, uh, you know, plus 
25% of our workforce we've hired from other states and brought into Columbus. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been able to be a, an attractant and a, and a draw to talent. Mm -hmm. But there is amazing talent here and there's amazing, uh, you know, smart people coming out of universities in Ohio, universities all around the Midwest that we were able to tap into. So we knew that wasn't true. And, you know, to Fallon's point, you know, when people talk about Columbus's or Ohio or the Midwest and say that it's cheap, that's such a surface answer right. for why to start a company here. That is not the reason to start a company here. That's an added benefit of the fact that, sure, you can get an office for less than you would pay in San Francisco. Right. But that's not the reason why you start your companies here. You start it here because of the people you find, the talent the work ethic, the access to customers. Yeah, it's a fantastic place to start a company. And, you know, I know that because we started one here and I know uh, I'm confident it would not have uh, gotten to the, to the place that it did if we tried to do that anywhere other than Ohio. Great, Brad Fallon, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite angel investor. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.